All right, Mark chapter number 2, and uh, we're down to verse 13. And uh, we're going to jump into Matthew here, the calling of Levi, or the calling of Matthew. And uh, just uh, look at a few things here this evening, and uh, just kind of see what is happening here. Uh, we went through the first 12 verses last time. Actually, we came out of chapter 1. We saw the, the leper healed and then the palsy healed. And uh, we see the issue there. Uh, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. So, again, he sees the faith of the five men there, the four on the, the holding the bed down and the palsy there. And it, the first thing that the Lord says is the issue of thy sins being forgiven. So the core issue that's going to really kind of move here now is this issue of sin and the fact that Israel is uh, held in satanic captivity. They've been un they're under the fifth course of judgment because they broke the law, so they're under the curse of the law. So they're under satanic captivity, then they under the curse of the law, and now here is their Messiah who is ready to deliver them from satanic captivity, from the curse by healing and, and so forth. And again, he's uh, chapter 1 there, verse uh, 14 and 15 is what he's preaching, the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's what he's, he's teaching them. It's time. The kingdom is here. But yet he starts here in chapter 2 with this issue of forgiving uh, their sins being forgiven. Now, in verse 12, And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, in, insomuch that they were amaz all amazed and glorified God. We never saw it on this fashion. And again, that's the issue. They, they, nobody up to this point... I mean, think about this. They've never seen anything like this. No one had ever healed, cast out the demons, and now here the Messiah is doing that. Here's the Lord doing this. Here's the, it's time. It's time for the Messiah to be active. It's time for the Messiah to be in their midst. It's time, it's time, it's time. And that's, again, what he's getting at and what he's preaching. He's working, he's healing, he's forgiving their sins. He's take, dealing with the issues and the curse of the law, the curse of sin, and the people are beginning to see it, and they're beginning to marvel at it. Now, verse 13. Uh, there's something very fascinating here now as we go through, starting here in verse 13 and moving down through the, uh, the chapter, Mark is going to paint a picture here uh, and, and he's going to use some illustrations. Uh, and the picture he's painting is the attitude of the opposition. And uh, there's going to be some opposition to the earthly ministry of Christ. And we're going to begin to see it here. Verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resort, uh, resorted unto him, and he taught them. Again, he's teaching them, chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's what he's teaching them, and we have to remember that is what he's after. The Messiah is here. It's time now to move forward in the program. The prophets and the law were until John, and John, the kingdom's the issue, and we're pressing into that, and that's what he's pressing here. Notice verse 13, and he, and he, he went forth again by the seaside. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee. He's actually by the Sea of Galilee several different times in his, uh, in his uh, ministry, but here he is, he's at the seaside. And there's a picture here. There, there, there's a picture here that, that really only Mark really uh, portrays. And it's something that we've got to see. This microphone is probably okay, but it's like right in the, hit my beard. <laughs> so, and it's the shirt, not the microphone. So hang on just a second. All right, look over with me at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, is, this is not the, the scene in, in Mark 2 that's actually going to be in Matthew 9. But if you look here in Matthew 12, you, you'll, you'll begin to see kind of the same theme that uh, Mark 2 is beginning to picture. Look at verse 14, Mark 12, or Matthew 12, 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Now, in Matthew, that's the first time the religious leaders are described as getting ready to kill him. Okay? So, in Matthew 11 and 12, if you remember when we went through Matthew, they are at the place where, they, where the Lord has presented himself to the nation, and the nation has rejected him. They refused him. And he's now beginning to withdraw himself. In verse 6 of chapter 12, he says, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. So the priests work the temple, so there's a greater priest. If you look at verse 41, 1241. Uh, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold a greater than Jonas is here so now there's a greater prophet verse 42 the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here. Come over to chapter 13. So you have a greater than, three times greater than the prophet, priest, and king. Here he is. He's fulfilling all of it. The priest in that, in, in that capacity in the temple, prophet pictured in Jonas, king pictured in Solomon. So chapter 12, again, this is, Israel is moving away, the wrong direction. Now look at 13.1, where we're after the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. He goes out of the house, the house, Israel, picture of Israel, and he sits by the sea, okay, side. Now, this is, this is kind of, this is what Mark 4 is talking, or, or I'm sorry, Mark, uh, actually this happens in Mark 4, 
But in Mark 2, the similar thing, sit by the seaside. And that's going to be important, the sea. The sea. In Revelation 14, it's, it's said to be a picture of the nations, of the Gentiles. So come back to Mark 2. So when you see him say, and he went forth again by the seaside, it's like he go, he's leaving. By the way, in Matthew 13, he leaves Israel. He goes out of the house. And later in chapter 13, he goes back in the house. So it's, he's leaving the nation of Israel. He goes outside and sits, and he looks over the Gentile nations out there. And then in Matthew 13, he begins to speak the, parable, the mystery parables of the kingdom. Then he goes back in and so forth. But in Mark 2, he's going to sit out there and look over the Gentiles, and he's going to begin to now do something. And in verse 14, 15, and 16, he's going to call... Uh, Matthew, or Levi here, but he's not just calling Matthew. He's beginning to pull out from the... Uh, you remember, uh, look over with me at Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Uh, great passage here. Matthew 4 um, and verse number... Well, verse 14... Matthew 4, 14, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and it's going to be Isaiah 9, the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And that's literally what the Lord's doing. He goes outside, he's outside, he's sitting there, and he's looking into that land of darkness, and he's going to begin to call, come back to Mark 2, call and the leaders of that little flock. He's going, to begin to, he's going to begin to organize them. He goes outside of the leaders of Israel. Okay, we're going to see this as we go down where the Pharisees, verse 18, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eat and drink with publicans? He's going to go outside of that leadership of Israel and outside of the organized nation, outside of that organized vain religious system, and he's looking over, again, just like... I mean, if you think about where the leaders of Israel are at, Matthew 2, the wise men show up. What do they ask? Where's the king of the Jews? And it freaks them out. Now, they should have been aware of it. They're, they should have understood Isaiah and the, and the prophets. And if the wise men, a group of Gentile guys out of the east, knew he was coming, why didn't they? And it freaked them out, and yet here they are too, he looks out there by the seaside, gets outside of the nation of Israel. Israel should have been ready. They're not. The Gentiles are ready. And Mark is painting this picture of, look at the nation. They're not ready, but there's a group within the nation that is ready. And he's going to begin to pull the leadership out of that darkness to light.
verse 14. And he, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, you see this guy named Levi. Come over to Matthew 9. And Levi, is. we're told, Matthew 9, that this is Matthew. Matthew 9, verse number 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at receipt of customs. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Again, notice Matthew. So Matthew is Levi's other name. And we understand that, a first name and a middle name. In, in Acts 13, it's Saul, who is also called Paul in the parenthesis. <laughs> so M Matthew calls himself Matthew. Mark and Luke call him Levi. That's why sometimes it's hard to list the, the names of the 12 apostles. Sometimes you'll see people kind of work those down because, you know, you got, just a, you got Judas, which is not Iscariot. <laughs> so you got Judas and you got a Judas Iscariot. You got, so here's what's happening here. So when Matthew, Matthew 9, when he writes about himself, he uses his humbled name, Matthew. That Matthew, that name means a gift of Jehovah, okay? So it's a, it's a humbling, it's a humble name. Now, Levi, we know who the Levites are, Genesis 29. Come back to Genesis 29. So when you think about the Old Testament, when they named their, when they named their kids, there was usually a meaning attached to the name, Genesis 29 and verse 34. And it's, it's very important. You know, we know Levi is the priest, uh, the priestly tribe. They're the exalted ones that, that do all of that. Genesis 29, 34. And as she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was, she, was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she shall call his name Judah and left bearing. Now, Judah means what? Praise. I praise the Lord. Praise. But look at Levi. Levi, she says, now this time will my husband be, notice, joined unto me. So Levi means to be joined together. Okay, you with me? Now, go back to Mark 2 and get Matthew 10 on the way. In Mark 2, verse 14, he's, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, Alphaeus carries a, carries a meaning as well. Alphaeus carries the meaning in his name of someone who passes beyond. But look at Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew 10. 
because Matthew in Matthew 10, we see Alphaeus pop up again, verse 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican. Notice how Matthew's identified, the publican. James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebus whose surname was Thaddeus, and off you go. So you see how you have James the son of Alphaeus, and you've got Matthew the publican. So you can so he either had two boys that are in the twelve, or we have a lot of Alpheuses. It's not clear. There, so everybody has their opinions and so forth. But when you think about, you're in Matthew ten. Look over at Matthew twenty one. When you think about Alpheus, meaning someone who's passed beyond, and then you take Levi joined together, and you put those names together, you come up. Joined together because you passed beyond. And that's literally what's going to happen here. When he calls Matthew, he's already called Peter and Andrew and Philip and those guys, James and John, the disciples of John. He's already called them. Remember in, in Mark there, fishers of men and so forth. We looked at all of that. And he's building this he, he's building the, the um, little flock, the leadership, and he, that's what he's doing. So he, Matthew, by the way, there, uh, Matthew 21, if you will, Matthew 21, he called him Matthew the publican. And in Mark 2, we're going to see uh, that he was a publican and so forth. Matthew 21, though, Matthew the publican, when he says the publican there, the publican was a tax collector. And if you think about publican, that word public is in there. Public like the public schools, government, the public street. So, so it's a governmental issue, and it says someone that belongs to the government. Now, the publicans were Jews who had... Uh, purchased from Rome a tax franchise who then would go in and tax and collect taxes from their own people. So as Rome persecuted the Jews, now you've got Jews persecuting the Jews. So the publicans were not liked very well because they had literally joined in with Rome in governing and oppressing the nation of Israel. Okay, Zacchaeus was a publican. You remember in Luke 19. And by the way, he's the one that says, if I've overcharged anyone, I will, I'll pay them back and so forth. Luke 19 there. So the, ta so the publicans were corrupt people. In other words, say the tax was five bucks. They were getting seven and keeping the two. Pay the five to Rome and keep, and whatever they could get was their own. So they were a part of the government. They were a governmental official. So he's a Jew joined into the Gentile government, and he's oppressing Israel. So he's betrayed the nation. So then the question is, is all right, why did the Lord pick this guy? Well, what's his name? Levi, son of Alphaeus. 
joined together because he passed beyond. And it, what it does is it begins to paint a picture of who the little flock is going to be. And that's literally what, what Mark's doing here, what the Lord's doing. Matthew 21, look at verse 43. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore say I unto you, and the you here is the Pharisees. That's who he's talking to. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. He's talking to the rulers of Israel, and he says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you guys, and I'm going to give it to a nation. A, and the nation here is not the Gentile nations and so forth. It's a nation within the nation, and that's that little flock. That's why Luke 12, verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, is your father's good pleasure. Come back to Mark 2, to give you the kingdom. Okay? So what's happening here is he is... The Lord looks into that apostate leadership realm of Israel and he's going to pull out of a group of believing believers, believing remnant, and they're going to be the rulers of his kingdom that's at hand. And that's literally what's happening. He's literally gathering the structure of the coming kingdom. He's setting it into place. That's why a little later Peter will say, hey, we forsake all, what do we get? And everybody gives Peter a hard time. And in reality, it's not a hard time. It's a, hey, you're going to get, you're going to be 12, sitting on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. And here they sit. And he's getting that. So Mark is painting a picture here of him gathering up the leadership and he's pulling from people who are not part of the religious system. Look at uh, Mark 2, look at verse 14 again. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. Again, he's sitting there, he's uh, collecting the tax, he's part of, he's an official position, he's joined with Rome. He's betrayed his nation. He's part of the corrupt government. So Jesus Christ here is going to pull him out of that corrupt nation and make him a part of the believing nation. He says, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, so now we're at Matthew's house, and obviously it's a big house, <laughs> He's got the house up on the hill. Why? He's tax collecting. Five bucks is a tax. I'm getting eight now. So now we got three. And the reason is, is that next word, many. So there's not a, just a few, but there's quite a few. There's, there's a lot. Many, notice, publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. He's in Matthew's house having dinner. And who's in the audience? Publicans and sinners. Now, when he uses that term sinner, he is not using it like we think about in a Romans 3.23 idea. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
You know, for the wages of sin is death. He's not thinking about it that manner. Uh, Romans 5, but God committed his love toward us and not why we were yet sinners. He's, he's not, that word sinner in the Jewish terminology doesn't necessarily mean the justification doctrine and so forth. Come over with me to Galatians chapter 2. Watch how Paul uses it here in connection with dealing with Peter. Um, Paul and Peter have uh, kind of had a, they've had the meeting. Peter's perceived the grace that's been given to Paul. Peter's sitting, having a hot dog and chips, eating with the guys. And then the religious crowd, the Jews show up and Peter moves. Paul rebukes him. Verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not, notice, sinners of the Gentiles. Now again, he's not using the sinner of a Gentile in the Romans 3, Romans 5 idea. Rather, he's talking about status. And it's really a reference here to someone who is living ungodly, living unworthy. Someone who, he, the Jews are a special group of people. But Peter, you're not, the, you're acting wrong. You're acting like the sinner of the Gentile. You're now acting unworthy because you're disobeying the scripture. Come over to John chapter 9. Watch, watch John use it here. Or the Lord use it here in John 9. He's going to, the healing of the blind man. And actually it's not the Lord, it's the Pharisees. So, it's talking about someone who is living unworthily, ungodly, immoral type of thing. Uh, John 9, verse 16. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath days. Others say, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. See how sinner is associated with not keeping the Sabbath they're not, he's not living according to the way you're supposed to live. So we would sometimes you hear people say he, they're in gross immorality. That's what he's talking about. Verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, then he, them he heareth. That Again, sinner. Not in Romans 3, Romans 5, but rather someone who's talked about, it's talking about someone who's living just loosely, ungodly. So when you come back to Mark 2, the guys at Matthew's house, they're the... <laughs> Literally, when the public or when the Pharisees say, "What's he doing sitting with the publicans and sinners?" He's they're saying, "What's he eating? What's he doing with all of these outcasts, with all of these reprobates, these traitors who've joined themselves to Rome? What's he doing sitting with them?" Now you got to remember Luke 15. He, the Lord said it said that the Lord is a friend of publicans and sinners. That's who He is. There's many of them in the room. Verse 15, they're sitting there. Now watch verse 16. 
And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? How is it? Why does he do? What, What kind of guy are you following? Look at this. He's over here healing people, doing all this miracle work, and then he goes over and he sits down with the outcast, the dregs of society over here. How in the world can you follow this guy? How, what in the world, what's the problem here? Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that's a great verse because literally what the Lord does is he puts his finger right on the problem. The problem is, is that the Pharisees, the elders, they don't see themselves as sinners. Again, what's the real issue? Sin. They don't think they are sinners. They think they are good to go. Think about the righteous. The righteous. I came not to call the righteous. Paul says he was a Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, touching the righteousness of the law. He was blameless. He, in other words, not that he didn't break it, but when he did, he fixed the break. He lived a perfect moral life. He was righteous. And what what the Lord's doing in verse 17 is he's looking at them saying, you guys don't think you need a Savior. You think you're good to go. Now, you never think you need a Savior until what? You're lost. You know, I can remember (laughs) we we went camping up at Woods Canyon and it's hard to get lost at Woods Canyon in certain camp in certain parts of the campground. But we got turned around. And guess what? It's like, okay, stop a minute. We went up on a bluff. And when you go up on a bluff, even in hunting, you turn too many times and not paying attention, every tree looks the same. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're like, hmm, maybe we ought to stop here a minute and let's get our bearings. Otherwise, what are we? We're lost, and what do they got to do? They got to send out a search party, and then they got to find you, and you need the help. They don't think they need a Savior. That's the thing. And the Lord puts his finger right on it. And that is exactly where Isaiah and the prophets, come over to Isaiah chapter 1, are all talking about Israel is at. And Isaiah nails them. And the Lord takes, Isaiah's already pointed this out, obviously. But what the Lord does is he puts his finger right on the problem. He says, the problem is, is you guys are sinners and you don't think you are. You got this whole religion going and you think you're good to go. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah is a wonderful little book. It's a miniature Bible, 66 chapters. Matches up Each chapter matches up to the, the, the corresponding book in the Bible. And uh, it, it does it in its theme and in its origin and in, in its tone and tenor. Look at verse 2, Isaiah 1, 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. 
By the way, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form. Here it is. He's going to talk about heaven and earth. For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And you know what? If you ever raise kids or been around kids, guess what they do from time to time? They rebel. God had a nation, called them children, and what did they do? They rebelled. Verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. And that's the shame of it, honestly. Verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, and there they are. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. The whole nation is in this sickened, sin-sick condition. So what do they need? They need the physician. They need the healer. They need the Messiah. This is, by the way, all of this is going to be a spirit, uh, description of their spiritual condition. Look, look at verse 5. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Look at that. They are just sin sick. They're full of sores. They need the physician. They don't think they do, though. That's the thing. They think they're good to go. Look at verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a very, look at that, small remnant. There's that little flock, that believing remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Boy, what a sad case. But what did God leave? What did God have? That small room. He looked at Elijah and said, I got worse. You're not alone, Elijah. I got followers down in Egypt that haven't kissed the ring to Baal. You're good to go. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. Now, he's talking to Israel, but what's their condition? Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of, the, of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. All of your religion... All of your religious activity has no value. See, see that? I have no use of it. I don't delight in it. Now drop down to verse 16. Now watch these guys. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's when he said to that guy, Thy son, thy sins be forgiven. There's going to be a day when the Lord's going to look at him and say, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be white as snow and red like crimson. You're going to be covered. Now watch verse 19. If ye be, what? Willing and obedient, and that's the issue. Ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. They have to be willing, don't they, and obedient. Now drop down to verse 25. I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy ten. That's the 70th week of Daniel. What's it doing? Getting rid of the dross, getting rid of the rebel, and I will restore thy judges, Numbers 1, as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What's he going to do? He's going to restore back the proper leadership. Twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes. I'm going to put back your princes. I'm going to put back your counselors. I'm going to put back your judges. I'm going to put, put the righteous government back into place. And that's literally what the Lord, come back to Mark 2, is doing here in Mark 2. He's out there, he's, he's out in the midst of that sin-sick nation that has rebelled against him. They've joined the Gentiles against him. They've come and he's come now and he's teaching Time fulfilled. Messiah to be here. Repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Believe the gospel. Let's go. And then he's backing it up with the casting out of the unclean spirits and the healing. And he's presenting himself to be who he says he is, and that is Messiah. And he comes and he begins here now to call out that believing remnant. And he does it. And when the religious crowd shows up, back here in Mark 2, and they begin to say, what are you doing (laughs) by sitting there? You didn't even look at us. You went right to to the outcast. What's going? So what does he say, verse 17? The reason I didn't look at it is you guys think you're whole. They that are whole hath no need of the physician, but they that are, what, sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, look, you guys think you're good to go. I'm not here talking to you. I'm here looking for that publican and sinner guy. And that's literally what he's doing here. Now watch verse 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used used to to, to, to to fast. And they came and say unto him... Why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? So, why are we fasting and you're not fasting? 
They don't get what's about to happen. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Well, if the bridegroom is with them, what, they, they would be what? Happy. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away with them, and then shall they fast in those days. So bridegroom's the Lord, right? Yep. Okay. When he's there, what are they? They're happy. They're having a good time. There's no need to fast. But one day he's going to go away. We'll get there eventually in Mark. And what's going to happen? Now they are going to fast. Now, when the thing about fasting comes up, in Israel's program, there is only one fast ordained by God, and that's in Leviticus 16 in connection to the Day of Atonement. That's the only God-ordained fast. The re- Come over to Luke 18. The rest of the fasting is done for out of their religion. Look at Luke 18. And we've got to catch this, and then we'll get back into those verses again uh, some more next time. But you've got to catch this issue about fasting, because... You know, and they're not intermittent fasting here. They're not no no water. You know, the Lord fasted 40 days, 40 nights, was hungry. It's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about something that they're doing that is that's being done for themselves. Look at look at Luke 18, verse 9. Kind of get ahead of myself here. Look at 18, verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Do you see that issue of trusted in themselves? Now, this is where we're at over there in Mark 2, and you know what they're doing? They trusted in themselves. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Why does he fast twice in the week? There's only one God-ordained, scripturally ordained fast in Israel's program That's the Day of Atonement. Why does he fast twice in the week? What verse 9 do? Say, because he what? Trusted in themselves. They they don't do this out of an obedience to Scripture. They do it, again, they act like they're better than everybody else, but they do this because he trusted in, in himself and he's doing this because he thinks he'll be he'll be better off with God I know God you said once but I did it twice so I'm better and fasting became a part of the vain religious system of Israel it became a part of the Jews religion now think about what we're talking about here in Mark 2 so on your way back to Mark 2 Go to Isaiah 58. (laughs) But in Mark 2, 
They're asking a question, why are the Pharisees fasting? Why are the disciples of John fasting and you're not? They're fasting because they don't understand where they're at. They don't get it. Um, Isaiah 58. They're doing something because they trusted in themselves. Look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Here, here's where we're at, Mark 2. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation, they did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight, now watch, in approaching to God. And that's their problem. They act like they're, they act like they're good to go. But they delight where? Not in the ordinances of God, not in the word of God, not in his righteous, but they delight in approaching to God. You see, worship of God in Israel had become entertainment. They don't delight in finding him. They're not delight in seeking him daily. They're delighting in how they approach him. They're showing off how they're getting to him. They're showing off on, how, look at how I fast twice in a week and tithe on the smallest amounts. And they've got this look at us type of mentality. Now watch verse 3. Wherefore we have fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore we have afflicted our soul and Thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exalt all your labors. Why are they fasting? To get God to see all their labors. They're trusting in themselves. They thought, if we do this, God will be happier with us. Notice verse 3. Where... Wherefore, we have afflicted. We're, we're going to mourn here. We're going to fast. Uh, the issues of we're taking pleasures in the fasting rather than doing what the Word of God says. For, they're trusting in themselves. Verse 4. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Lord, look at all that we're doing for you down here. And you know what he says? I have no use for it. Verse 5, Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? That's what it was meant to be. Day of Atonement. He says, you know what? They said, look, Lord, look at us. Look at what we're doing for you. And he says, I've, I've got no use. But you, but you keep thinking that, that by adding to, 
adding your traditions to my word, adding all of your religious activity, you keep doing that, that's okay. I got no use for it. So when you come back here to Mark 2, why are, we, why are they so concerned about fasting? That's what's interesting to me. <laughs> they bring it up. Why are they doing it and we're not doing it? Well, because, uh, by, by the way, go back there to Luke 18. We didn't finish that section in Luke 18 there with that publican and, and the Pharisee because this, this helps. Why are they not fasting and we are doing it? And he says, hey, because the bridegroom's here. And because the bridegroom's here, you don't have to, you know, you ought to be happy and excited. You're being fed. You're being taken care of. When that bridegroom's gone, it's going to be a little harder. So, but look at Luke 18, verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift. Notice it's a publican, that tax collector, the outcast, the reprobate, the guy who's Joined a league with the Gentiles. He lift up so much as eyes, or I'm sorry, would not lift up so much as eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Isn't that, there's the problem again. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Why was God, why did he say, God be merciful to me? Well, he's standing at that mercy seat, and he says, Hey, I, I, Lord, when you look at me, remember the blood on the mercy seat covering that broken law. Remember that. Don't, you know, I'm not doing nothing. The publican or the Pharisee, he's trusting himself rather than trusting the Lord. So the fasting, go back to Mark 2, the fasting was them trusting in themselves. And the Pharisees were the best at it. They're the fundamentalists. They're the blameless. They, they, they had, what Paul said, no confidence in the flesh. <laughs> they had it. They were down. They got it all down. And it was all designed to exalt themselves. So when he says in verse 19, and Jesus answers them here, Jesus said unto them. So basically, you know, can, can the children of the bride chamber fast? He's like, he's looking at them and says, they ask him, why are we doing it and you guys aren't doing it? He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with, with them? Well, the answer is no. Why? Because it's a happy time. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Why? It's a happy time. When he's going to leave, then verse 20, when he leaves, then they're going to fast. But notice, the bridegroom here is Christ. He's there. Now, do the Pharisees recognize him being there as Messiah? No, they don't. They reject him. But does that little flock receive him, recognize him as being there? Yes, they do. So the little flock, what do they know? They know what time it is. They know what's going on. They know it's a happy time. They're aware that there's the Messiah in their midst. They're 
in the right place. They're responding properly to the word and to the message, and they're there, and the publicans and the sinners, and you're going to have Mark, or I'm sorry, you got Matthew, and you got all the other guys, and they're there. They, they're, they're, they know that there will be a time when he's going to be gone. But right now, man, there they are. So what's going on here in the picture that's being plant, painted is that as the Lord pulls out from that blinded nation out there, the, the believing remnant, they begin to understand what's going on, and the Pharisees don't have a clue about what's going on. because So he's dealing with them. And he just, he, they are, they're going to reject him. If you look down in chapter 2, I'm sorry, in chapter 3, they are ready to kill him. Verse 6, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. The opposition is come up against him. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 19 and 20 next time because there's some timing that's going on here and the hour is up. There's some time issue that we need to see. But Mark here, and what he's doing here is he's presenting, there's some folks that are beginning to oppose Christ. And, they're, and he's demonstrating that, op, that opposition comes from the heart of unbelief. And that unbelief, that heart of unbelief has captured the leaders of Israel. And what they had become was that sick, that nation of sinners now, that sick, sin-sick nation, Isaiah 1. And the Lord's beginning to call out that little flock, that believing remnant out of darkness with the design to produce the righteous nation. And the issue of fasting and why fasting is brought up is because it's demonstrating where the Pharisees at. Where, what are they thinking they're over here looking at themselves rather than paying attention to who the Lord says he is. Now, they're upset with him. When he says back there in, in chapter 2 there, who can for, when they say who can forgive sins but God only, they know that he just claimed to be who? God. And they don't like that. So now, go, now they're going to take counsel against and how they can get rid of him. But uh, we'll look at verse 19 and 20 next time and uh, get that timing issue down. But just catch what Mark's doing. He's like, all right, we're going to call Levi now, Matthew, out. And the Pharisees are going to respond. The elders and the leaders respond to that in an unbelieving manner rather than, and, and again, you can just see them. Why didn't you pick me? Why are you picking him? He's a publican. He's a sinner. They're the outcasts. They're the reprobates. They're the dregs of our society. I'm, I've been to the best schools. I've been here. I've been there. I've done this. And they don't get the fact that they're, they're trusting themselves rather than trusting in who the Lord uh, is doing. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for the word here, for the look into it briefly this evening, for the folks that have come out as we look and see the things that were happening in the nation of Israel as 
our Lord walked the earth. In your name we pray. Amen.